Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in Thanks. You can take your seats. We've been moving through the Advent season, which is a season where we celebrate love, joy, peace, and hope, and how those connected the Christmas story. And every week we light a different candle and share a short reflection on one of those themes. And tonight, uh, the Advent season is complete. Tomorrow we begin the Christmas season. And it lasts for 12 days. And so to close out our Advent season as a church, I wanted to invite uh, Carl and Judith up for the lighting of the all the candles, including the Christ candle and the readings. On Christmas Eve, we light all the candles of the Advent wreaths. First, we light the candle of hope, because Jesus brings hope. Second, we light the candle of peace, because Jesus brings peace. Third, we light the candle of joy, because Jesus brings joy. Fourth, we light the candle of love, because Jesus brings love. Finally, we light the center candle. This is a Christ candle. Jesus is born. Jesus has come. Jesus is our salvation. In 1 John chapter 4, we read the following. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let us pray. God of love, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for this Advent season. As Christmas dawns, transform us by your love and teach us to love one another as you've loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Carl and Judith. Please stand if you're able once again and join us in songs.
Light of the world, treasure of heaven, brilliant like the stars in the wintry sky. Joy of the Father, reach through the darkness, shine across the earth, send the shadows to fly. Tragedies of time were no match for your love. From great heights of glory, you saw my story. God, you entered in and became one of us. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah for the things he has done. Savior's birth. No 
sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt it burn. A thrill alone, the weary world rejoices for yonder breeds a new and glorious morn.
Awesome. You can take your seats. Thank you, team. That was beautiful. That was awesome. We're now going to hear um, from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John, uh, two framings of the Christmas story. I'm going to invite up uh, Israel and Amy and Larissa, and you can come on up here, and I'll ask uh, Israel to read first, and then Amy, and then Larissa last. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared within, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship, relationship with the Father and has made him known. Thank you. I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Wick up for I've invited Rick to craft a short Christmas prayer.
Let's pray. Gracious God, you are both the mighty and powerful God who created this immense universe and everything within it, and you are a God who is near to us. And you make yourself known as a loving Father, as God Emmanuel, which means God with us. You have entered the darkness in our world to bring light. You have entered the brokenness and sinfulness of our lives to bring healing and forgiveness. You have come to tear down walls that divide us, to overthrow hatred with love, to bring hope to the hopeless. You have come as God Emmanuel, God with us. This is good news. The news of God becoming man was good news 2,000 years ago, and it continues to be good news today. For it is through this baby born in a manger long ago that you, God, bring peace, joy, hope, and love. Four things that our world desperately needs and four things that each one of us needs in our own lives. Four things that only you, O oh God, can give in all their fullness. So we ask, come child of Bethlehem, make your presence known to us and dwell in our midst. Come servant king, teach us the ways of your kingdom and make our hearts your throne. Come brother of all, show us the meaning of our humanity. Go before us and lead us so that we may live practicing the way of Jesus. Grant in us your peace and joy and hope and love, and may we extend that in our relationships, in our homes and neighborhoods, in our schools and in our workplaces. As the wise men brought their treasures as gifts for the king of the world, Lord, would we bring our gifts, our time, our talent, energy, and resources in devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the concepts that has taken our cultural imagination by storm, probably over the last 10 years, has been that of the multiverse. The multiverse is a hypothetical group of multiple universes, and the different universes within the multiverse are sometimes called parallel universes or alternate universes. And within each individual universe, matter and reality play out according to an infinite number of timelines. I know this is already the most strange Christmas Eve service you've heard, but just stick with me. It's going somewhere. The concept of the multiverse was popularized, uh, for the most part, by Marvel, the Marvel movies, uh, which made the multiverse a feature in some of its biggest blockbusters. You got Spider-Man No Way Home, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. As if you watch those movies, or if you just consider what the multiverse is hypothesizing, you can't help but find yourself coming back to a question. What would be the best of all possible worlds? Imagine a universe that represented the very best of all possibilities. What would that look like to you? 
Well, tonight I bring you good news. Because the Christmas story shows us that we are living in the best of all possible worlds right now. I didn't hear any amens. And that's okay, I forgive you, because that's discordant with our experience of this world, isn't it? That claim that we are living in the best of all possible worlds seems absurd. All you have to do is look at the pain and suffering in our world. We just have to give the pain and suffering in our own lives the merest edge of our attention. And very little about this reality feels like the best of all possible worlds. But I actually want to show you why this claim is true. And we can establish that this claim is true by exploring the alternative realities that we could be living in and connecting it to the Christmas story. So here's one possibility. We could be living in a world where there is no God. We really are cosmic accidents. We are fundamentally alone. Life, by definition, has no meaning beyond what we ascribe to it. But all of our ascriptions are are arbitrary. Um, This means all of our conceptions, no matter how lofty they are, human dignity, purpose, meaning, love, these are illusions of our own making. Death and suffering, loss, disease, injustice, these are the defining characteristics of our existence. That is definitely not the best of all possible worlds. So that's the first possibility. The second possibility is that God is real, but God is detached and God is distant. So it's pretty similar to the first, except with the added knowledge that somewhere out there among the multiverses, there is a creator, there is a God, but they abandon us. They left us to grope in the dark, directionless, and at the mercy of forces that are now at play in our world and within ourselves. This God could bring their power to bear and maybe make things right, but for whatever reason, they choose not to. And this means that the darkest parts of our world, again, the death, the disease, the injustice, the abuse, the suffering, these have always been, and they're forevermore going to be not the best of all possible worlds. There's a third option. And that is that God is real. God is involved, but in a very self-serving way, in an abusive way, in a destructive way. Um, This is the conception that comes out of uh, paganism in in Greek and Roman uh, pantheons. This is a world where we would know that divine forces exist, but we wouldn't know whether or not we could trust them. Because they're capricious, they're unstable. In some ways, they're more emotionally immature and volatile than some of us. And this would set a fundamental anxiety within us. Yes, maybe there are many gods, maybe some of those gods are good some of the time, but they're either at war within themselves or each other. And the people who bear the brunt of the consequences of that warfare, that instability, that self-serving nature are humans. And then when you stop to think about it, what that means is these 
gods or God is just as enslaved to the same self-destructive impulses and compulsions that plague us. We'd all be scrambling to continually try to appease these gods in order to prevent them from raining down wrath and misery upon us. Not the best of all possible worlds. The fourth possibility gets a little bit better. God is real. God is involved. But God has to be lovingly authoritarian. What I mean by that is, this is a world where there is no suffering of any kind because God or the gods exert their will totally and fully over all things, all the time. Now their will is bent to the good, so evil can't emerge. And that maybe plays in our imagination is, yeah, that would be getting closer to ideal. Until you consider what that means is no meaningful human choices. No allowance for human free will, for co-creativity, for deep and purposeful agency. And all good, all powerful, all authoritarian God may exert total control over everything for good reasons. So that no mess or crack gets through. But to be enslaved and severely limited to a benevolent God is still to be enslaved and severely limited. It's not the best of all possible worlds. Now we come to the final possibility. And that's where there is a world in which God is real. God is involved. But God is involved in a gracious, merciful, self-sacrificial way, a patient, redemptive way. This is a world where God is real and involved. And as we observe the involvement, our trust actually builds. God is showing himself to be trustworthy and faithful, even when we are not. He's extending mercy when he would be absolutely justified to extend judgment and condemnation. This is a God who is set against evil and injustice in the world, but also wills the good, but does so in a non-coercive way. He compels us to himself, but doesn't coercively pull us there. He allows for human free will and agency. This is a God who, when we reject and deny him, when we spit on him, when we live with our middle finger in his face, he pursues us. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's even willing to condescend down to our level in order to reach out to us and to rescue us. This is a God whose mercy would eclipse divine justice and who seeks and saves the spiritually lost. This is a God who reveals his power not through self-aggrandizing acts of might, but through humble service, loving invitation. Again, self-sacrifice. Sacrifice to the uttermost. Sacrifice even to death on a cross. 
abject humiliation and torture. A God who demonstrates his love by becoming the sin and the shame bearer and overcomes evil, overcomes our evil with his good. A God who patiently redeems and restores lost and broken things and patiently redeems and restores lost and broken people. And a God who will offer eternal love and life and joy and peace and hope, not to the religious elite, not to those with power or status, but to anybody who simply acknowledges their need and asks, who humble themselves and respond in faith and trust. That would be the best possible world. And that's the world that the Christmas story shows us we're living in. Do you know of all the spiritual conceptions of reality that humanity has come up with? None of them, except for Christianity, fit that last one. Do you know why that is? Because Christianity isn't a human conception. It's a divine revelation. Christianity reveals the true story of the world that you are living in. And it's a hopeful story. It's a beautiful story. And even if your story tonight doesn't feel beautiful or good, it can be redeemed because of that story. That's what makes Christmas beautiful. That's what makes Christmas powerful. That's what makes Christmas special. Because it points to the good news. Good news that is for everybody. We are living in the best of all possible worlds. There's a God who is real and involved and has come and humbled himself, taken on human form, lived the life that we should have died, lived, died the death that we should have died, was raised to life, extends the offer of eternal life beginning right now to anyone who's humble enough to say, I think I need that. There is something different about this child, this Messiah, this Christ, this Jesus. Now to say this is the best of all possible worlds, I do feel like I need to asterisk that a little bit because there's one thing that would make this truth even better. There's one feature that would sort of make this the ultimate timeline for you. And that is if you actually said yes to this story. Because you can be in this timeline and still say no. But what would make it the best of all possible worlds would be for you to say yes. Yes to this God, yes to this Savior, yes to this redemption, yes to this grace, yes to this mercy, yes to this love and joy and peace and hope. Christmas holds out the possibility for you to live into the best of all possible worlds.
So do not settle to live in a smaller one. Let's pray. God, as we close this time with singing, this song, Come Let Us Adore You, I pray that that would be more than just a song. That for hearts that are far from you or enter into these into this building, numb, maybe competing with a million thoughts, that there would be a focus, um, a, a focus on you. Work in our hearts, God. Thank you for being who you are and for setting us in the best of all possible worlds. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Please stand with us if you're able to and uh, respond in those last two songs.
Okay, we have one more song, Remain Standing, Silent Night. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my lighter around to people on the edges of the first four sections. And you're just going to snake um, that flame through. We want the love of Jesus to burn bright in your heart this Christmas. Not on your hair, not in your clothes. So please be mindful as you pass the candle. Make sure you've got your little hand protector. And uh, yeah, this is always a really special time. So I'll start over here and then we'll just let, um, let the flame burn bright. Logistic issues. Um, where's the mic? <laughs> the microphone. Oh, it's right here. It was hiding the shadows. No, that's great. Okay. All right, silent night. Silent night. Holy night. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, Jesus. 
Let me send you into Christmas with a benediction. As you go, family and friends of Nelson Covenant Church, may you treasure up these things in your heart and contemplate the glory of Christmas. May you discover God's eternal love, joy, and hope, and peace this season. And may Christ's grace burn brightly in you this season. And may you share that warmth with others. And may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. God bless. You can blow out your candles, and on the way out, there's just a plastic container there, and you can drop them in there.